I'm going to read a few scriptures before we get started. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll just start there. Salvation and sanctification. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in verse 9, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, amen? But ye are sanctified, amen? But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And each one of us in here may be able to pick something out of there yet. That was the direction I was headed. But God not only washed me clean in the blood of Jesus Christ, but now I'm sanctified. I was set apart by the Lord Jesus Christ, justified in the very eyes of God. Turn to 2 Thessalonians. just want to look at these Scriptures. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. That word sanctify. Sanctified. Sanctification. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. And that's how we got saved. We were set apart by the Spirit of God when we believed. Hebrews chapter 2. One more. Hebrews chapter 2. We got a lot of other scriptures, but for right now, I just want you to look at Hebrews chapter 2. This word sanctification. And in verse 10, Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 10, For it became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, that's Jesus, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both He that sanctifieth, and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus is, he sanctifieth, and we're the ones that are sanctified. Amen? So there's this word, sanctification. And, you know, the power of God of sanctification is displayed in both our salvation and our daily lives. Every day that we walk with Jesus Christ, we are sanctifying ourselves if we want to walk with Him. And the Holy Spirit helps sanctify us so we can walk and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we certainly don't want to confuse these two terms, but sanctification takes place in both our salvation and our daily walk with God. So, it means to set apart. It means, another word might be to consecrate, to make holy. But remember that, to set apart. The power of God saved us. The glorious gospel power. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now the power of God keeps us saved and sanctified. Turn to 1 Peter. You're in Hebrews. Turn over two books to the right. Hebrews chapter 1. I'm sorry. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. The power of God keeps us saved. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through what? Sanctification. The setting apart 
of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Look down to verse 5. These are talking about believers who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in that last time. I don't keep myself saved. If I am saved, God is keeping me saved. That's power. He not only saved me, He's keeping me saved. I cannot lose my salvation. I'm in the hands of Christ, and His hands are in the hands of Almighty God. So I can't pluck myself out, and you can't pluck me out, and I can't pluck you out. We're saved forever. And that's by the power of God and the sanctification of the Spirit. The fact that God set us apart under the salvation. The power of God sanctifies or also sets us apart for service. And it'll transform us if we allow it to. Every day, God wants to make you, as you were saying, grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to make you more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, that happens, John 17, 17. Jesus said to who? His disciples, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So how are people sanctified? How is the believer set apart to do the service of God? It's through this book. It's through this book. There's many people in here, but those who follow the book and cling to this book and and obey it and try to walk in its commands and, and, and be encouraged by what it says, they're the ones that God sets apart specifically for service. If you're not living according to this book, you're probably not serving God. Because you're not sanctifying yourself. You're not setting yourself apart. You're not consecrating your life to be a vessel unto honor to God. So, there's this idea of sanctification, which simply means setting apart. Now, sanctification. There are two aspects of the believer's sanctification or holiness. There is my position, okay? My position, that's my standing in Christ. I am saved. If you're saved here this morning, you're in Christ. So that's your position. That will not change. But then there is also the practice. There is my practice, my daily walk, my daily obedience as I walk in this world as a Christian. That's my walk with Christ. So there's sanctification as an unchanging uh, position in Christ. That's salvation. And then there is sanctification in a practical sense. That happens every day. That's when you and I grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a choice. Either to set ourselves apart so God can use us and obey the Lord and and allow Him to set me apart to be used of Him. Or I can go my own way. Even as a Christian, I can harden my heart and do what I want. And you're not sanctifying yourself. And even as the Holy Spirit tries to prompt you, and speak to you, and help you to turn around and go His way, we can harden our hearts. Will we still go to heaven? Yes. Because you've been sanctified in salvation and set apart for that, and God's keeping you saved. Because you believe. But you can turn your back on God. But God says, I want you to sanctify yourself. I want you to make yourself clean, your life clean. Not morally sinless, just clean so I can... Pour my Spirit into you and use you every day. That's the sanctification I really want to talk about. Every day, in a practical sense, living for Jesus Christ. That is the failing of the church. That is the failing of individual Christians. And I'm not pointing the finger because three are pointing back at me. But if I want to serve God better, it's up to me to sanctify myself 
and allow God to work in my life. So, first, positional sanctification. Turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. There's that verse that we uh, I just quoted in John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. But in John chapter 16 and in verse 7, Jesus speaking. Now, where is this all taking place? He's on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. They left the upper room. He's only hours from the cross. And he's talking to his disciples. And he says, nevertheless, in verse 7, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. Talking of the Holy Spirit. And when he is come, the Holy Spirit, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not on me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and I am the standard of righteousness, he's saying, of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So I read that to you because the Holy Spirit, if you're saved here today, the Holy Spirit convinced you of sin, the righteousness of Christ, and the judgment to come. And you said, I don't want that. I realize I'm a sinner. I want to get saved. I want Christ to save me. And you repented and you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. As, as His sacrifice on the cross was the, was the gift of eternal life to you. That is an unchanging event. Once it happened, it's done. And dusted forever. Okay? Because when you were born again, you don't, that's a spiritual birth. It took place once. Many people can remember at least maybe the month or the time of the year or the, the moment or where they were when they were born again. You don't have to be born again again. It's over. It's, it's sorted out. That's your salvation. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to plow through these things so you understand sanctification so that I can get to my message, or at least what I, what I think this practical salvation, a sanctification of the believer is all about. So, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, forget the other verses there. Let's go right to verse 13. Verse 13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, it's when ye got saved, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. Which is the earnest of our inheritance, that's coming, under the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of His glory. So you were sealed. It was confirmed in heaven. It's done. You are saved forever. And the Spirit of God is the one that seals you. He's in you. He has sealed you until the day of redemption. You know, when you get to heaven, you won't necessarily need the Spirit of God in you, sealing you, because you're there now. Your redemption is complete. You're in the very presence of God. But for right now, He's pledged Himself. There's a pledge. There's an earnest, a down payment. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You will go to heaven, because the Holy Spirit's taking you to heaven when you die. Your soul is redeemed. That is a done deal. So salvation is your standing in Christ. 
in Christ. This is our positional sanctification, where I am. And chapter 2 tells us exactly what that means. Chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And hath raised us up together, and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through, G- through Christ Jesus. So, my positional sanctification is that I'm already in heaven. And Jesus can't wait to show you all the riches of His kindness. That by His grace, by nothing, no merit of our own, He says, I can't wait to bring you up and show you all that I want to show you up in heaven. And all that awaits you, it's your inheritance. Why? Because I've sanctified you. I've set you apart. You are mine. It's like I'm already there. I'm in Christ. I sit in heavenly places right now. And we would feel that more if we sanctified ourselves now. If we walked with Jesus Christ and cleansed and cleaned up our life, we would sense that even more and more and more. I can't wait until this, what I'm feeling now, becomes sight. And I actually sit in heavenly places. And Jesus shows me the riches of His grace. That's positional sanctification. Like you're already there. So we who are saved are sanctified in that we are set apart in Christ. Just turn over a couple books to the right. Colossians chapter 3. I think somebody in here has these for his... Uh... Isn't this your life verse? 3-2? Well, I'm not doing that one. <laughs> I'll read it just for you though. Verse 2, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. In fact, that is sanctifying your thoughts and affections on Jesus Christ. For ye are dead. You didn't know that, did you? Ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Well, thank God I'm dead and my life is hid with Christ in God. Because wherever Christ is, that's where I am. And verse 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. You ought to underline that. Christ, who is our life. The old man was dealt a death blow at the cross. I am crucified with Christ. Hey, he still rears his ugly head, doesn't he? You deal with him every day, don't you? But he doesn't have the power over you anymore, like he did. So, we're in Christ. Those, those words, I am in Christ. That I'm secure. That's my positional sanctification. But, there's practical sanctification. Um, Go right back to Ephesians. Back a couple books. Look in chapter 4. Practical uh, sanctification happens every single day. This is the hard part. (laughs) This is where the choices are made. This is where the decisions are made. This is where you say, no, I shouldn't do that. I should do that. I shouldn't look at that. I should look at that. I shouldn't read that. I should read that. Where every day you make choices. You make those choices. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22. That ye put off concerning the former conversation. That means your way of life. The way you lived. The old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. He's deceiving you. That old sin nature deceives you. Makes you think you can go down that road and nothing's going to happen. But it's like a snake. You play with it until he bites you. 
And then in verse 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And, and, and that you put on the new man, which is, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Sanctification is the process of setting a believer apart by putting off the old life. Telling that old man, you are not in charge of me today. I'm putting on that new man, Christ in me. That's what I'm going to put on. That's what I'm going to walk in. I'm putting on the new today. It's a conscious choice every day to live for Jesus. I don't know how I can boil it down any simpler than that. That helps me. It's either Jesus today or me. It's either the old man or the new man. That's right there waiting to wrap me in His righteousness and help me to walk every day so that I glorify Him. Do I do it 24-7? No. Thank God for forgiveness. And the men are going to preach on it in a couple weeks. That I am forgiven. He paid the debt. Paid my debt. That's forgiveness. Imagine being fully submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit over every area of our lives. Just imagine. Because that's what we have to do. Because it's a battle every day. And living in complete obedience to the world to the Word of God. We can place ourselves in a class of our own. Not at the expense of other believers, but to the glory of God. This, this race isn't, oh, you know, I'm, I'm behind Gavin. i got to catch up. I want to beat Gavin. We're in a race. We're not to beat each other. We're trying to just finish the race to the glory of God. Not beat each other. We don't compare ourselves with each other. So, sanctification. We can be in a class of our own and say, Lord, I so want to be used of you that I'm going to read my Bible and then I'm going to do something absolutely novel. I'm going to obey it as best I can. And you watch. God will say, I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to do that. I can use you for this. I can use you for that. You watch how God fills a vessel that wants to be a vessel unto honor. He will. He just will. Because that's what God does. Sanctify means holy, hallowed. When something's hallowed, it's set apart. It's sacred. We are saints. Are we not? We're saints. We've been set apart. That's all that means. You don't pray to me, and I don't pray to you. We pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I am a saint. And I won't, t- I won't back down from that. You can make some people pretty bad when you say, I'm Saint Dan. <laughs> oh, you think you're something. <laughs> I'm a saint. God said I'm a saint. He, that means He set me apart. Amen. It means to be set apart for service. That's all it means. Sanctification is your walk, your life in Christ. It's our practice. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. You're right there. In verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you were called. You've been called to service. When He sanctified you unto salvation, it didn't stop there. That is the beginning of life. The beginning of serving Him. He wants you now to walk worthy of the, of the, of the vocation, the calling upon your life. And yes, every single believer in here has a calling on his life. Every single person is being called to do something specific for Jesus Christ. That's His will for you. We all have the general will of God. 
But you also have a specific will. You ought to find out what it is. It'll start with saying, I'm going to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to sanctify myself, and I guarantee you, he'll tell you what it is. He'll show you, he'll point you to the Scripture. We've been called to serve. Simple as that. This is our practice. This is our practical walk with God. It's called sanctification. Consecrating your life. We are obligated to live right. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. Isn't it good? All in one book. Bam, bam, bam. Let your fingers do the walking right through the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You know, I love them words, were, are. I like that. I was a child of darkness. And some of us had some really dark times in our life. We didn't realize how dark they were until we got saved and the light shone in our hearts. But I'll tell you what, some people can look back and say, man, even before the light, I knew it was dark. It was dark. And now the light has shined into my heart. I'm not darkness anymore. God lives in me. That means I am a light. We ought to be what we already are. I'm a light. I'm going to act like a light. I'm not putting a lampshade over me and cover it. I'm going to be a light like a city that's set on a hill. And shine my light. We're obligated to live right. To set ourselves apart. And be what we are. Lights. You know, in the Bible, there's things that are sanctified. You can write these verses down. Anybody taking notes? And I hope we start getting those notebooks passed out. You ought to be writing it down. You ought to be checking me out like a Berean. Right? What's this guy talking about? Is it in my Bible? Well, I didn't even take a note. I forget what he said. Hey, you remember very little of what you just hear, but I'll tell you, you remember a lot of what you write down. Anyway, if I have anything to say, let me tell you this, that it's more than just people that are sanctified in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to go to Exodus um, 40, but the tabernacle furniture was sanctified. It just means it was set apart for priestly use, to worship God. Those things that were in there, the, the uh, incense and the, and the menorah, the, uh, what is the candlestick and the showbread, and all those different things were in there, and they were sanctified. They weren't to be used anywhere else and for anything else. They were there to be used by the priest to come to the place of the Holy of Holies, and once a year, the high priest would go in, behind the curtain, into where God dwelt. The tabernacle furniture was sanctified. Mount Sinai. The whole mountain was sanctified. Because why? Because Moses was up there getting the law and God was there. So it was sanctified. It was set apart from all the surrounding area. Well, guess what? God lives inside of you. So you're sanctified because where God is, it's holy. And it's as simple as that. It was sanctified by God's presence. Now turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. In verse 15, you know this verse, but look at the word. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You won't be able to do that unless you sanctify God first in your heart. 
unless He is the very center and object of your affections and your thoughts. When you sanctify Him, the believer sanctifies God in his heart, that he is setting God apart as first, last, and always. I love you the most and the best and always. You are the center, the, the, the hinge pin of my life, God. It's all about you. First in our affections. Should he not have that prominent place in our life? Should he not have that prominent place in our lives? Yes. He has the preeminence in this church. He has the preeminence among believers. He's first. He's last. He's always. And it should be that way in our thoughts and in our affections. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 again. First Corinthians chapter 6. And this time we're looking in verse 19. Paul asks a question. What? <laughs> what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Like, don't you know that? For ye bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So your body is sanctified. And then you take a good look and you go, this? <laughs> I mean, that's not like it was you know, 30 years ago. It's a different body. It's a temple. It doesn't say we're not allowed to smoke cigarettes in the Bible. It doesn't say we have to do this. No, your body's a temple. How would you like to you know, destroy the temple that God is living in? It's hallowed. It's, it's sacred. It's holy. Why? Because of you? No, because God lives there. Jesus lives in my heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of me. So my body needs to be consecrated. And not only the body is a temple, the body is a vessel. Look in First um, Thessalonians. Turn to the right. First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four and in verse three, here you go. Here's the will of God. For this is the will of God, even your what? sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. That's your body. God bought it with a price. So he owns it. Everything about you, God owns. And that body, if you're using it for sin, then you are, you are not sanctifying yourself. The Bible says to abstain from fornication. Stay away from things that violate the Scriptures concerning your body. Because your body should be sanctified for God. It's, it's the vessel He lives in and the vessel that He uses. This clay vessel, this tenement that God is God's temple. This is where He lives. And since He lives here, it's holy. Because He is holy. It's and, th- and that's what I'm talking about by daily, practical, separated living. It includes your body. Look at First Timothy. Just turn to the right, another book or so. Look at First Timothy. I bet you didn't know this. Uh, you knew it, but you didn't think of it this way, maybe. A lot of you know things I don't even know. 
But we might have looked at this and read it, but we never thought about it that way. Uh, verse 3, four, 4 3. Forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving, of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing to be refused, if it be received with thanksgiving. Why? See that word for? Here's the reason why. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So, even our meals, even our meals are, are sanctified unto God. When you eat something and you say, thank you, Lord, for my liver, the liver I'm eating, and onions. and uh, I don't eat it. You can eat it if you want, but I don't. But it's sanctified. It's okay. If you want to eat tomatoes and lettuce, and I eat that too, fine. And you don't want to eat meat, fine. It's sanctified. You, you're thanking God and saying, this is what I have. This is what I want. Lord, thank you. That's now sanctified. But if I want to have a lamb shank, amen, and, uh, and all that goes with it, I say, thank you, Lord. And it's sanctified. It's sanctified unto God. It's set apart as holy, believe it or not, because it's acceptable to God by prayer and by thanksgiving. So, as far as I'm concerned, to sanctify, I believe the Bible saying it doesn't mean to make whole, to, to sanctify or make holy does not mean to purify or make morally sinless. It doesn't mean that. It means to set apart something for God and for His service. That's what it means. This is my practical, your practical sanctification. So, the essence of holiness is separation. In relation to the Christian, sanctification or holiness refers to being set apart to God from sin. That is what sanctification is. Now, why the need? Why the need for practical sanctification in the believer? 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. 2 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let every one that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Consecrate themselves, sanctify themselves. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor, and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, those of dishonor, the things of dishonor, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. There it is. There it is. Separation is what is missing in the church. Separation unto holiness and unto sanctification is missing in the church. Now, not totally missing. I mean, we're all, you know, I, I hope we're all trying to walk with God. But look, we're saved. The foundation of God standeth sure. This is the seal. He knows us. He knows who's saved. He knows you by name. And thank God He knows me. Because a lot of people say they know God. And God says, depart from me. I never knew you. I'm glad He knows me. Not just I know Him. So the foundation of God standeth sure. The Lord knoweth them that are His. So if you're saved, Amen. I'm glad He knows you. But let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. All of us have to look at that and say, how am I doing in that part of my life? 
How is my sanctification going? How is God using me? Or am I immersed in sin in my life? Things that I will not let go of. And it just defiles my vessel. That's sanctification. Now, we want to be a vessel unto honor. And that's what it says in verse 20. In a great house or in your home, there's vessels of gold and silver. There's vessels of wood and earth. Some to honor and some to dishonor. So we find this analogy here wherein as Christians are likened unto vessels. Vessels that are used for different things and different reasons. It seems some vessels are honorable and some are dishonorable. Measured by the degree of their sanctification. How much you want to set yourself apart unto God to be used of Him. Look, <coughs> Kathy gets ready to clean. I get out of her way. Or I'm told to hoover. One or the other. And you just hoover, I'll take care of the rest. But when Kathy gets ready to clean, she doesn't grab a vase. She grabs a bucket. It's a vessel that winds up with a bunch of dirty water in it at the end. But that's what it's made for. That's the way it was made. But the vessel is a bucket. It's sanctified for dirty water. It's sanctified for its use. Because that's what it's good for. But when she displays flowers... You don't put them in a bucket, do you? You put them in a what? A vase. A vase. You make them look pretty. It's a, va- it's a vessel unto honor. And God honors it. And we honor it by putting flowers in it. Besides, you can't get your hand in a vase. For the dirty, you know, you didn't get that. Anyway, so a vase is sanctified for flowers. Both are vessels, one to honor, and in a sense, one to dishonor. God determines how to use the vase, or God determines how to use the vessel. We have to set ourselves apart so we can be a vessel that's clean, that God says, I want to use that for a special, for, for some specific thing. Now we all have to answer the question, am I a bucket, a vase, or somewhere in between? Maybe just a drinking glass or whatever, but somewhere in between. What am I? I'm glad you can't see into my heart and I can't see into yours. But you have to do business with God just like I do. What kind of vessel am I? I'm reading it in the Bible. Am I a vessel to honor or dishonor? A bucket or a vase? Or somewhere in between? All of us will probably find ourselves somewhere in between, but I want to be a vase. I want to be where God puts his flowers in. and says, look at that. Look at that. Where people are, are, are seeing what you're doing, but they see Jesus. And he gets the glory. Say, look what I'm doing in, in Kathy's life. Look what I'm doing through Leo. Look what I'm doing through different people. And it just, you're the vessel. Our bodies can be vessels that are honorable and used by God for his purposes, or they can be found to dishonor, unusable. Some are just unusable because there's sin in their lives. It's like a bucket with a hole in it, man. It won't even hold water. What good is it? God's not going to use it. It says, but in a great house. Now, if you just look back in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In a great house. Exactly what are they talking about? I believe he's talking about the house of God. 1 Timothy 3.15 But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how, thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. He refers to this as a house. Which is the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of 
of the truth. So when you go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 20, but in a great house. The analogy is made to your own house, in a big mansion or whatever. There's a lot of different vessels. And in the church, there's a lot of different vessels used for many different things in a local body. Now, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 9. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 9. And in verse 21, you know about the potter and the clay. and We'll also be going to Jeremiah. In fact, if you want, you can go ahead and put that in your other... Put a Jeremiah 18.6. You can stick something in there if you want. <clears throat> so when it's time to go there, you'll be ready. Jeremiah, uh, Romans 9.21 says this, Hath not the power, potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another to dishonor. Now, out of the same lump, we're all believers here, out of the same lump, the potter makes one vessel unto honor, but makes another one unto dishonor. You say, God did that. God did what the clay allowed him to do. God knows what's in the clay. And if the clay is unyielding, or it has stones and sin in it, what we would call sin. It's unyielding and it hardens itself against the potter's hands. He says, the best I can do with you is to make you a vessel of dishonor. But if you'll yield, if you'll clean up your life, I will make a vessel unto honor. It's up to the potter. But we make the choices. We determine our usefulness. But it's up to Him. God calls the shots. God says what I want you to do and what I want you to do. But you're the one that has to sanctify yourself and say, God, make me into a vessel of honor. And the potter can do that. God makes His choice of service for the clay. He knows the heart. He knows the clay. And frankly, that's all we are is clay. And God is molding our lives. See, God knows what's in the clay. Okay? God knows what's in the clay, but the clay must yield. Now turn to Jeremiah. Chapter 18. Then I went down to the potter's house, verse 3. And behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And it says, And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. It wasn't the potter. It was the clay was marred. In the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel. It seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Now, the analogy to Israel. O house of Israel, cannot I, God, do with you as this potter? Saith the Lord, Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are ye in my hand, O house of Israel. If you be willing to yield, if you be willing to, to, to get this all the stuff out of your lives and turn back to me, I will make you a vessel unto honor. I will make you into something wonderful and beautiful. But if you're hard and there's sin in your life and you're unwilling to yield to God, God has no choice. Maybe even to scoop you off the wheel and, and slam you down and try to get you to, 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 um, to soften up, to be willing to let Him do what He wants to do. Look, if you want to be used of God, in a greater way than you are, be a vessel unto honor, then you're going to have to yield to the potter's hands. You're going to have to give and let him do his work. And sometimes he's plucking things off you and it hurts and you don't want it. And, uh, but if you're willing, God will clean your life up. 
and make you into something beautiful. Because that's His work of sanctification in your life. Ephesians 2.10 says He's creating, it's His workmanship He's creating in our lives to walk with God, to do good works. Bottom line is, one clay yields and one clay doesn't. One responds to the potter's hands and the other doesn't. So one's to honor and one's to dishonor. It's not the fault of the potter. It's the clay. It's the clay. Now finally, to serve God. Go back to 2 Timothy. Go back to 2 Timothy, chapter 2, and in verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, 2.21, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared, ready unto every good work. And that's where we should be. God saved us to serve. That's why He saved us. We should always be preparing ourselves to be used of God to serve Him. Now, Christian, that's just the, that's just the way it is. That's why He saved you. It's not over. When we get to heaven, it's not over. We are servants of God. And to be the best servant I can be for God, I gotta get my life cleaned up. To be a vessel of honor means separating ourselves from sinful practices. And I know, in a church this big, that there's sin in the church. <laughs> Any one of you could get up here and say the same thing and be just as right. There's sin in the church. There's sin in our lives. And you know what it is. As I said, none of us are perfect. None of us are sinless. We sin all the time. Maybe not like we used to. But some of us are holding on to some things. We need to let go of it. We need to get right with God. It's called repentance. So that we can be a vessel unto honor. So it means separating ourselves from sinful practices. Turn to Joshua chapter 7. We're almost done here. Joshua chapter 7. Look at this man Achan. Joshua chapter 7. I'll just read a couple of verses, not the whole story. Try to give you the idea. You know... Israel, their first battle was against Jericho. They had to walk around the city and then shout and blow the trumpets and the walls fell down. But they were told one thing. Don't take any of the spoil of Jericho. Don't touch it. It's mine. It's not yours. Leave it. Verse 1. Joshua 7, 1. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, the spoils. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. That was the next city. But he didn't send the amount of men that he should have sent. They became prideful, thinking this thing is going to go easy. Ai is a tiny little town. Let's just go in there and take them out. And verse 5 says, And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate, even unto Shabiram, and smote them in the going down there. Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Why one city, the walls come tumbling down, and they don't have to lift their hands, but to shout and blow trumpets. This city of a few thousand they sent in, and they they got kicked, and, and they run out of the city. There's only one difference. Sin in the camp. There was sin in the camp. 
Verse 6 says, And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord. And until the eventide, he and the elders of Israel put dust upon their heads and were like, what is going on? This little tiny city, we couldn't take it. What is happening? God's abandoned us. Verse 10. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get up. Wherefore liest thou upon thy face? Israel hath sinned. It was Achan. Little sin, right? A little leaven. Leaveneth the whole lump. So you may, you know, this message might not be for you, but it might be for somebody. Don't think that we're, we can separate ourselves from the lump. We're all part of this thing together. We're the family of God here in this local church. And every one of us needs to be striving to be a vessel unto honor. So, verse 11 And they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. He's talking to the whole, he's talking to all of Israel. It's one man. Verse 13, up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in the midst of thee. O Israel, thou cannot... Canst not stand before thine enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. So, they bring it all the way down. Joshua gets it all the way down and it points to one person. They go from all of Israel to the different tribes to the different families and finally there's Achan standing there. It's him. Verse 20, And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and thus and thus have I done. Now, you want to know the progress of sin? Here it is. Verse 21. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted. Saw it? He coveted. Then I took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth and in the midst of my tent and silver under it. Well, he did all that. That's the progress of sin. God knew what was happening the whole time. And God knows what's happening in our church, in our lives. And finally, in verse 24, And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan and the son of Zerah and the silver and the garment and the wedge of gold and his sons and his daughters and his oxen and his asses, his sheep, his tent and all that he had. And they brought him under the valley of Achor. Everything that was Achan's was stoned. And a great heap of stones was put over them. His whole family suffered. Because of his sin. I wanted, to, I wanted to focus on one verse, but God said, you better see how this affects everybody around you. Your sin affects everybody around you. Up. Sanctify the people. Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow. Because I'm going to make it known. I don't want God to put my sin out here in front of everybody. I'd rather just take it to Him and get myself right. And get my vessel clean so that God uses Dan. Now, it's simple as this. Achan had taken all the spoils of Jericho. He sinned, and there was sin in the camp. It affected others and his family. So, brethren, it's pretty simple. Get the sin out of your life. Clean yourself up. Take God seriously, because He's taking it seriously. The Holy Spirit will not use a dirty vessel. The Holy Spirit will not use a dirty vessel. If you went to a restaurant, and the drinking glass is there, and they come out with the water, and you hold up the glass, and you went, now, you all do that because I do it. 
So I know you do everything I do. No. But you look at the glass sometimes, you go, what? There's a smudge on this thing. There's a line from where somebody had milk in it. Or there's fingerprints all over. I ain't drinking out of that glass. Can I have another glass, please? God doesn't want any fingerprints and smudges on his glasses either. So why would you think he'd take a big drink out of your life if there's a bunch of fingerprints and smudges all over your life? He's not going to. He wants a clean vessel. And he deserves it. Romans 6, 6 says this, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. And henceforth we should not serve sin. The old man is still here. He's in my flesh. But he doesn't have power over me anymore. So stop whining about how tough it is to live for God and start giving God glory and say, He's more powerful than the old man. He's taken away that power over my life. Yes, there's the presence of sin, but he's, he's taking care of the penalty of sin and the power of sin. It's still out there, but I can, I can be a vessel unto honor. See, the old man is there, and he has to, he's going to have to be dealt with every minute, every hour, every week, every month, every year, over and over and over again. It's never going to be over. This practical sanctification takes place until we die and go to heaven. It's never done. But, you want to be meat for the Master's use. Prepared and ready at God's call for God's good work. Turn to 2 Timothy 2 and we're we're done here. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Meat for the Master's use. That just means suitable. Something fit for God. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and in verse 3. What's the good work? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life. He sanctifies himself. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man strive for masteries, yet he is not crowned, except he strive lawfully. He does it biblically. He does it right. He's a vessel unto honor. A soldier sanctifies himself for the battle. And there is a battle at hand. I don't know about you, but just knocking on a few doors in McCroom yesterday, there's a battle going on. People are shutting their door on the Gospel. They don't want to hear it. Some listened. Praise God, people listened. One lady for 45 minutes asking questions, wondering what this whole thing was about. Praise God for that. But there's a battle going on. People today love evil and hate good. They choose the bitter over the sweet. Boy, the more vile you are, the higher you will raise yourself up in government and amongst the people. There's a vileness in society today. There's a battle, my friend. And it's a spiritual battle. And we're the soldiers that are supposed to go out and tell them there's hope. You want hope and change? (laughs) Amen. There's hope and change with the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Meet for the Master's use. So our daily walk, our sanctification, makes us and keeps us a usable vessel unto honor. So, in conclusion, look, a believer is sanctified first in their salvation, but also in their daily walk with God. There's this word sanctification. Set apart. Salvation is positional and never changes. Service is is the practice. It's practical. Every day in our daily lives. Practical sanctification. So what is your goal? To be a vessel unto honor? 
meat for the master's use or it's your choice. Preparation will mean obeying the Bible and responding to the work of the Holy Spirit. If that doesn't satisfy you, then you go your own way and do what you want. If you're saved, thank God He saved you and He's keeping you saved. I think He owes. I think we owe Him our lives because He bought them with a price. And we cannot be used of God unless it is done by the power of God in our lives. And that's sanctification. Let's pray. I'm just going to ask you, raising your hands, if you'll allow God today to sanctify you. Maybe there's someone in here that needs to be sanctified for salvation. You've you've never been saved. You don't know even what what it's about. You can be set apart by by the Holy Spirit of God and be saved today. And that's the beginning of your walk with God. Most of us in here, I would think, the majority of us, our sanctification is about service. We're either going to clean ourselves up so that we can be used of God. So I just pray that you'd think about this message and uh, the truths of what God has shared with us. It's amazing how, how something so strong can be sent so tenderly by God that He is the potter and He wants to do something with the clay. He loves us and He wants to pour His Spirit into us. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would just uh, speak to our hearts, not just now. May this not just drop away. Uh, the Holy Spirit, please implant in that engrafted word. Uh, and may we have the spirit of meekness and trembling. That God, you've just spoken to me. I'm not going to walk away and allow this to fall away. I, I want to do something about it. Not because Dan said it, because you said it. You speak to all of us, Lord. Please. Father, help us to change something in our lives. Help us to get some of the fingerprints and smudges off our this vessel so that you'll be glad to drink out of it, so that it's a vessel unto honor. We love you. We praise you. And we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.